Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Cinema de More. I'm your host, Chuck, joined by... Justin. Lexi. And we're keeping it sexy, as Justin wanted, with these erotic thrillers. And this week we're talking about <laughs> the steamiest movie I've ever seen, Gone Girl. <laughs> it is steamy. It's got some steamy scenes. Yeah. We get, we get like, the side, almost, profile of Affleck's penis at the end of the movie, so... That's pretty steamy. Yeah. Representing. Yeah. (laughs) This one's an erotic thriller that gets a little dark, although I think all of our films probably get a little dark. That's what makes them so thrilling. For sure. Most thrillers probably are dark. Do you ever see a happy thriller? Maybe the music video thriller. You guys know how I love my depressing endings. This ending, wow. (laughs) There's nothing depressing about this ending. That was just a happy family. God. That's how I interpreted it. It's everything worked out. Yeah. They're so lucky that everything worked out. Yeah. I know before this book came out in 2012, Venture had the rights to make the movie. Before that, I think it was like Reese Witherspoon. Her production company was trying to have her in the Amazing Amy role, and I don't know why it, it fell apart, but they basically started pre-pro on it when just the manuscript of the novel was out. So it was one of those things where it was picked up before any normal person had read the book. So I had read the book, I think it might have been the year after it came out, when Venture was 100% confirmed to be making this movie. And I read the book, wow, it did, it impressed me a lot. That ending, which we'll get into when I read it the first time, I was a little dissatisfied at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, that's pretty perfect, actually. That's a really fucking good, perfect ending that feels like it could really happen, like realistic, and puts these characters exactly where they need to be. And then when the movie came out, I remember seeing it with Chuck and his mom and maybe Chris was there too. I don't remember. Yeah, but maybe. <laughs> you saw this with you saw this with Chuck's mom. Yeah. <laughs> That would have made me uncomfortable. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I take his mom to any erotic thriller. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think about personally in this particular experience. They're comfortable in their own skin. They're comfortable with each other. I don't mean that. I mean, personally, I just being there with someone's mom in general, I would have felt uncomfortable. Anyone's mom. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this was written for the moms. This was made for the moms. Oh, my God. I mean, it pretty much is. If you say so. It really, really plays up what I love about Dateline. And if you could actually see one of these things play out, and it kind of plays out in a mostly clever way. I can't remember if I didn't believe Nick Dunn, Ben Affleck in this movie, who starts out as the main protagonist, but then the protagonists are pretty much split between him and Amy, played by Roseman Pike. When it starts, it does feel like it could be a setup. We haven't been able to see everything that's happened or is happening. She's the antagonist. She's not a protagonist. It follows her, though. Well. How is she the antagonist when they're both bad people? I don't think they're both bad people. They're both bad people. They are. They're both bad people. This movie's full of bad people. (laughs) They're almost all bad people. 
while you're talking about bad people too, I didn't realize that Boyd Holbrook was in this. I totally forgot about him. This I be... forget that he's in. Yeah, because like, I think it's like got to be one of the, like the earliest things that he was like significantly in. <laughs> I remember the guy being a dick. He's the trashy a neighbor, I guess, for the vacation spot that Amy's in. I remembered him being a dick, but then when I saw him, and he's even far away, I'm like, hey, maybe it's just because we just watched the fifth Indiana Jones and he's in it. Yeah. Hey, these people, they just keep popping up in these fucking movies that <laughs> you just watch a 10-year-old movie and then there they are and you recognize them and it's taken some time for them to become famous, I guess. It takes place on, what, their fifth anniversary? Yeah. She happens to disappear and it's weird he ends up calling the cops and you know it progresses quickly to um potential uh, kidnapping and or murder i just love the fact that you can know somebody so well or n know nothing about them at all which <laughs> which is i don't know knowledge about that person too yeah him and the, him and the neighbors like the funniest like, what about your neighbor i've never seen that woman in my life and they're like really she has quite a lot of pictures with your wife seems like they were really good friends and he's like yeah. Well, this is news to me. I've never been aware of this. <laughs> the best cut is when they're going back in her diary. She's explaining the first time that they went out on a date with each other when they go to kiss, and it cuts to him getting swabbed in the mouth for <laughs> potentially murdering her. <laughs> One of the great Fincher cuts. Lexi, what do you think about this movie? Brilliant film. It's incredibly well shot. The cinematography is absolutely stunning incredibly tight shots that are beautifully well done are you talking about those athletic shots all the athletic shots are good and they're shooting inside these small homes but they're making them look really big making the spaces look large like i was talking to you when i was watching it and i was saying this is one of those few films where i'm like i think this would look really good in a theater because it's just so beautifully shot because it's just got this wide panoramic quality about it almost in the way that it's done fincher again he's such a perfectionist like we always say every little attention to his camera work the use of color is good in this too like there's a lot of like oranges and blues and he uses some really solid filters on it and stuff like that and i was just really blown away watching it and when it started i about three minutes in i was like i don't know and then of course like it picks up immediately and i was like wow <laughs> he does have a style. I don't think it's as distinct as, say, like Wes Anderson. No, not at all. But the way he frames everything is very similar from movie to movie. But I'm noticing, like, maybe it's from the social network on for quite a few films. Even maybe Mindhunter. The colors look very similar. <laughs> it almost looks like... I would agree with that. Almost looks like they could all be, like, sequels to each other or something. Yeah, that Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor soundtrack as well with this one again. And it has that similar feel to social network, like you said. I'd agree with you on that one. I think Ben Affleck's great in this movie. I think this might be one of his best roles. He really plays this, like, confused, bumbling husband really well. And, I mean, I've seen him do some really, like, powerful straight roles and stuff like that. So him doing this as well as he is, I'm, like, I'm just impressed with his performance in this. I think this might be one of his best roles. A-plus for him. When you initially said, what was it? John Hamm. I'm like, nah. I never heard anyone say anything about John Hamm until John Hamm was like, I definitely had that role. What do you think about that, Chuck? Because I know you were, like, so against it. Were you imagining John Hamm in the role this time? Uh-uh. No. I yeah, I don't know. I still can't see John Hamm. I can't see Reese Witherspoon as Amy either, though. I don't know. Neither of them really seem like... Maybe that's why she gave it up. I feel like almost I wonder if she was trying to 
she like was getting the rights and trying to do it and the, maybe didn't fully read the whole thing or was just told what it was and was trying to get the rights and then once she read it, it was like I'm pretty sure Reese Witherspoon reads her own books ah, I don't think she has time for that she seems pretty busy <laughs> she did a uh, wild in a similar way so I, I think wild was uh, the thing that made, I don't know the year it came out but you know yeah I think she did a similar thing then the writer Gillian Flynn she only done these three books everything's been adapted so far she did like a short story that was apparently being adapted which i don't know where the hell the short story was uh, i think she kind of got i don't want to say famous but she was known for doing like movie reviews or something with entertainment weekly uh, and then she wrote sharp objects dark places and gone girl and then kind of disappeared off the face of the earth Never to be heard of again until I think Glass Onion. I heard Edward Norton like name drop her, and I was like, "Oh, there she is. She's getting <laughs> name dropped in the in the little mystery movie." She did Widows, the Steve McQueen's movie with um Viola Davis. Viola Davis was the was the main character, yeah. I think, and that was decent. Yeah, I didn't hate it, but it didn't feel like anything. Like you were saying, how there's a there's definitely a feel to. It feels like you're watching a Dateline in progress in some some parts of this movie. And I know she's also denied that, that this film has any relationship to the Scott Peterson case, although they are very similar once you, like, really look at them. Like, there's... I was watching a Dateline recently where they were trying to like update some of the some of the info, and there's like even pictures of him like smiling at like a thing when he was when he said the same thing like about his wife being missing because he did the exact same thing it was like <laughs> yeah, I don't know my wife's gone missing and there was like pictures of him at the rallies and stuff or that he was like sneaking off and they had the recorded phone calls of him with his girlfriend and they're like what do you mean your wife's missing and he's just like i don't know i guess she's just missing and he was like i didn't know you meant i thought you meant like you separated and got divorced and he's like there's different forms of missing or something like that he was like he was real vague about like why he kept telling her she was missing before he was actually reporting it but there are there are a lot of similarities it seems between those two cases that feel like she got a little inspiration for on this movie for sure yeah and i like the detectives too that kim dickens and i can't remember patrick fugit What's he from? He's familiar. Almost famous. Oh, okay. okay. Come on. Yeah, yeah he's the main the character. The only other thing that, he's yeah. ever known for. Also, also, he's in We Bought a Zoo. <laughs> those are those are his three claims to fame. Gone Girl, We Bought a Zoo, and Almost Famous. He's great in it. I do love his character. As like He's always... Come on. We know this guy killed him. Like, let, let's just take care of this. And then even when it... You really don't like him. <laughs> it's just like, no. Even when it like flips later, it's just like... It's just like He's he's just like so mean to him. He's just like, why can't you just be happy or something like that? Like the thing that I like the most about this is everything that Ben Affleck is as a character is turned against him. He perfectly fits into the narrative that was built for him to make him become the absolute worst person that is totally possible <laughs> of committing murder. I love that line too with the detectives when his dad shows up or he steps out to make his phone call to his wife and he's like, should I know my wife's blood type? <laughs> yeah. She's like, no. No, it'd be weird if you did. <laughs> After yeah. guilting him into that, just sort of like you don't know your wife's blood. Yeah, that's another thing of like you see on the on shows like that all the time, where it's like they try to trip him up by like making him think that's something that they should be aware of. Do you know your wife's blood type? Nope. I don't know my own blood type. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't. I've never known. My Couldn't tell you. Type. Yeah, that has <laughs> never been important to me. I'm pretty sure I'm a positive. If anyone wants to know, I was gonna say, do you actually? Well, doesn't your wife work in medicine? 
ultrasound, but I mean, I don't know if it matters all that much. It probably doesn't. <laughs> Not unless you get in a major car accident. You know what? I think I put it in my phone. If they ever do the emergency crap on my phone. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to do info. that. Yeah, you're supposed to put it in there. Not that I'm trying to get you like give out your wife's personal information yeah. on the show or anything. I'm just like, do you Yeah, know? why are you so <laughs> nebby about her blood type? It's <laughs> a weird question to ask. Really focusing on this. I only, only asked it mostly because of the fact that, like, that fact that I knew she worked in the medical field, and I was like, "Do you know?" Because she works in like the medical field. No, when watching this movie and they're questioning him on that, I felt the same way. I'm like, "Should I know this?" Like, I, mm. I don't know this information. Rachel thinks I should know, and I'm not with her anymore. But like, yeah, you can forget it now. <laughs> yeah, it's not important. But like, it's not important for you to remember anymore. Yeah. Clear up some of that space in your head. Right. <laughs> But I mean, I never knew even when I was with her. I'm like, I don't know. And then she's like, you don't even know your own. You should know that too. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's man. so many great moments in this movie too. Like I like when he looks out, out of his window, the police are like going through his garbage with the garbage yeah. men. And he's just like, hello, <laughs> just doing my job, going through your trash, making sure you didn't kill your wife. You know what? I feel bad too, because I actually really thought that Rosamund Pike is great in this movie. She pops up so seldom in anything. I think before this, or maybe right around this, she was in uh, At World's End or whatever, right? She's the love interest for Simon Pegg, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's where I know her from. She might have been in Shaun of the Dead too. Is like a very small role, but I can't remember. I don't think so. She you wasn't like the doppelganger the people. Remember yeah. the bizarro uh, scene? I'm no, to I don't think. Her. Maybe. I'd have to go back and look that up for sure if she was with in that like real small small. Boyd scene. Holbrook's definitely in that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Boyd Holbrook. Is I mean, I don't been know in, it, in but I know it. Films, yeah. <laughs> That's where he got real famous. There's, uh, there's everybody. Everybody's great in this movie. Tyler Perry, great. Tyler Perry, surprisingly, like when he actually, I don't know, wants to be a good actor and play like a good character. Yeah. And it might be his best. He was in Star Trek, yeah. 2009. He was good in that. I mean, it was short. I never saw the one where he was the spy or whatever the hell he was. I'm thinking of Alex Cross. He was a detective. Alex Cross, yeah. Yeah. I never watched. Yeah, I never watched that one either. I remember when that came out. Tyler Perry, Medea? No, I can't be. He, he like lost like, weight, so... got in shape. Like <laughs> I, I was so confused. I couldn't believe it. Was now he just person. has his whole like empire. In, yeah, empire in Atlanta, Georgia, of just an entire town of sets to do his TV shows on. So he like doesn't even do acting anymore. I hear that place is fucking creepy as hell. I know people that work there and it's okay, but I think they take advantage of most of the people that work there because they'll end up working on multiple projects and they're only getting paid for like one. Uh, If you watch, there's an episode in Atlanta that I brought up before that's perfect. It's not, they don't call it Tyler Perry Studios, but it's, it's very clearly that is what it's supposed to be. I hear terrible stuff about the Atlanta film scene. Hey, maybe they should go on strike if they don't like it. <laughs> yeah, they should. I think everyone is on strike right now. Just everybody. Yeah. Atlanta's not allowed to go on strike. That's <laughs> yeah. how terrible it is. Right. <laughs> Currently, SAG and WGA strikes are happening right now. And I saw an article that's like, but they're still filming House of the Dragon season two. But the reason why is because most people are in the UK and they're not in that union. So I saw the same thing, yeah. The headline almost made it seem like some really crazy reason, like, because they don't support the protests or something like that. And then it's like, no, they were just told that they'll get fired and sued if they try to quit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what everything comes down to. That's happened to me, too, with our strike. I'm in IATSE, and it was, like, up until, like, days before the strike. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Excuse me, Heil, what was that? Uh, It sounded like you were in a certain other party. 
<laughs> you said it too fast. Don't say it so fast. Sorry. Iotsi. That was a little better. Okay. You said a little fast before, and it sounded like sounded like you were maybe maybe in a different group. Iotsi. <laughs> Iotsi. No, he's right. He's part of a certain group that would have made him right for that at least. They were striking. I don't think the Nazis <laughs> on strike. They never strike. That sounds like something that would be in a comedic show, like Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was about to say, it's a, some, yeah, it's maybe thinking about Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's a Curb, yeah. The Nazi party's on strike? What? <laughs> I don't think they can go on strike. <laughs> My God. They're striking, too. This movie had three solid twists, and I was really impressed with that because our last movie had three solid twists as well. These movies both were, like, they weren't similar at all, but, like, in the fact that they were, like, that same kind of, like, there was, like, so much going on, and then it took, like, this hard, like, left and then this hard right, and I was like, damn, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Because, like, Perfect Blue, like, messes with the psyche of the main character, and and this is, is about the public perception of the guy. Well, I mean, it really fucks with you as a viewer, too. Like, you really are not expecting a lot of the turns that it takes, too. Like, I wasn't anticipating... I wasn't anticipating her to actually be alive, honestly. I was like, oh, okay. All right, she's alive. All right. I kind of half thought that, but also, like, I was like, it wasn't 100%. Like, I I didn't know for sure. And then it was like, oh, we have this whole other thing here. And then we're with that. And then when that one went off the rails and then she calls Neil Patrick Harris and then we get to that part, that was like, I was like, oh, I was not expecting this part of the movie at all, where now she suddenly flips the script and inadvertently becomes a victim because she had to call her former victimizer to help her because she had put herself in a bad situation by thinking that she was smarter than she was and then like got herself robbed and fucked over she got fucked by being robbed but she definitely was the main alpha predator in the neil patrick harris situation that was definitely worked out to her plan her plan B, her no money plan, where things had to change, it was at the expense of Neil Patrick Harris. I love the twist in this movie. It's such a good twist. It really is. Half the movie, you get her narration through her journal, so it picks up almost like a journal entry. as like, oh, what happens after the last journal entry? But it's so well done because she just goes into like her master plan of everything that she's done and inadvertently becomes one of the best characters ever <laughs> in cinema. Just like, she's just awesome right off the bat. She's just so psycho. Just nailed her husband for everything that he's ever done. Not that saying that he deserved to go away she's a she's a fucking monster she's She's a monster she's terrible she's insane she's like one of the most insane characters i've ever seen she's perfectly insane yeah i couldn't believe it but i was like just wanted to play some playstation just play some call of duty and he just wanted a laptop for laptoping yeah yeah i can't can't just get a laptop for laptoping okay i'm sorry but i don't think ben affleck's a bad person in this movie and he cheats and he lies How's he well, not a bad person? It's just human. I the know, like, lie? yeah. He seems to have ignored his wife for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, they were He's together. To her. Five years. Okay, well, I'm not sitting here and going. Ben Affleck was a good person. That's not the words that I'm saying. What I'm saying is Ben Affleck was human. There's a lot of things that are presented in this film that are very real. 
when they're in their apartment in New York and she's like essentially saying like I have money I come from a family of money and Ben Affleck's like I just lost my job and she's like most couples fall apart because of money but that's not something that we have to worry about because I have money it comes from I come from money and she's like I'll support you I've got this I can personally tell you two of my relationships were like heavily hurt by financial stuff. Financial stuff is a major drain on most relationships. I also know that we live in a society where as a male, you are made to feel emasculated if you're not working and that there is a quality about not working and not feeling like there's importance to you working that can once again make you feel emasculated and make you feel unimportant and then that can also make you feel like less of a man and therefore you start feeling resentment towards your wife and so there's that psychological factor that all comes from just the world that we live in and that sort of stuff and that's all presented in this I mean, a lot of the backstory, though, for him is presented through her journal, which is not truthful. That, too. It starts out truthful, then it changes. But, like, there's even the shot of her, like, being afraid of him while he's brushing his teeth. That's, like, my favorite shot of the movie is, like, her final journal entry that's, like, I think he's going to kill me. And it's just just him brushing his teeth and staring at her while (laughs) while he's standing in the doorway. I don't think he's abusive. I don't think that he hit her. I think we've kind of are shown like that side of it's bullshit. So I think what it is is that she just got tired of him and he's a loser. And he does hit it, her though. He she brings it out in him. He hits her at the end, but I think before that, like up to that point, I don't think that that had actually happened. And I think at the point that he does, I would have fucking hit her too. I don't think it was a. <laughs> you would have hit a woman. I don't think she's. She's a woman. She's some kind of creature. She's fucking a monster. Everything that happens when he when he cheats on her, like that's unjustified. Whatever. Like you don't need to be cheating on people. But like once again, like people cheat. She's crazy, but from her perspective, she feels used, heavily used, which is reasonable. Not important in this guy's life at all, which she is not. And she takes it to an extreme, but yes. yeah. I think often that we look at the breakdowns in relationships, the cheating, the hiding of things, things like that. I think there are things like that where we look at it in a black and white. And the thing is that a lot of that stuff comes in shades of gray and we're not in those relationships and we don't always know what takes those people to those points. And sometimes good people can end up in situations where they start to do negative things that they wouldn't normally do and that they're not good people in those moments but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad people ben affleck even says in an interview he is not a good person yeah he did admit to it right but i also like think ben affleck being able to admit to things the way he did and what have you i really don't think his character is genuinely as bad as like to say this movie is a movie full of bad people i don't really think he is i think he's just human and this was a relationship that was falling apart naturally and it should have just gone through a normal divorce the way that it should have and it's all it was she's awful she's a monster what she did is deplorable and he doesn't deserve any of this. Nobody deserves this. This is fucking chaotic and insane. This is sickening. Like, this movie... Your view just sounds sexist again, deciding with the man. I'm kidding. Or am I? Had I? A hard... 
I had a hard time with this movie no, she's because it's like she's psycho. <laughs> when we got to the end of this film, I personally was like triggered. I had trauma responses from it. To what exact moment? The last fifteen minutes of the film specifically, when she shows back up, she gives him the pregnancy test and then he has to tell his sister that he's staying with her. She's manipulated him back into being stuck with her and the whole conversation and like the whole shower scene and all of that and it reminded me of relationships that I've been in and it reminded me of people that I've been with. I could see people I've dated doing this to me and I could see people I've been with doing this to me at least two different relationships I've been in I could see absolutely doing this to me and I was like wow you shouldn't relate to this film this isn't a film you should walk away from and be like I relate to this what have you done in your life that you are watching this movie that you're relating to this movie and I mean, walking I think you away should, from this you should be able to relate to this movie though. <laughs> I, I'm, not to that degree not that you're like oh no because <laughs> that ending I was like too relatable I'm having a problem with this somebody's this- watching this movie and they're picking up red flags like oh shit this is what's happening to me and then it gets bonkers and they're just like oh fuck I need to end this thing before I get myself killed or arrested I can tell you that I sat in my room for a good hour and a half after this movie with nothing on, just like kind of staring and like trying to like deprogram from what I just went through with it because it was like really like, whoa. This is an excellent film. I I highly recommend this. And two and a half hour runtime, didn't even feel it. We need more films that can do that. Like, you know how I'm always bitching about my runtimes? It's like this. I saw it in two and a half hours and you know I saw two and a half hours and I went, ah, you fuckers. But it didn't feel like it. it was good. It's a solid runtime. Actually, I think this movie needed its runtime. I think it needed all of its meat to be able to get the story I don't think he really wastes out. much of his time, David Fincher, Mm-mm. with his movies. No. Excellent runtime. All of these movies utilize their time perfectly so far. Everything that we've watched. And I don't think he's usually too insane with time, except for maybe, like, what, Zodiac's probably his longest, I assume. Zodiac's, like, almost three hours, I think. And it doesn't really waste its time either, that movie. And that's another movie that flies... I think I was surprised because I rewatched Social Network, and that was just like a solid two-hour movie. Like, two hours, movie's got to be over. I'm not talking another second about Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> but there's so much more to talk about. When's he going to do the it's sequel? Reason- reasonable. There's another good shot in this movie, too. It's when Ben Affleck is at his sister's house, played by Carrie Coon, who's great also, by the way. I, almost like you said, every every actor in this movie She's excellent in this, yeah. is wonderful. But then the girlfriend comes over, and this shot with the two of them looking at each other, and it's Ben Affleck's head is just so massive. <laughs> And I know for years, like, they've been ma- they made fun of him for just having, like, the largest human head ever. They had somebody that was talking about, like, prosthetics, and they're like, oh, yeah, Ben Affleck, he's got the biggest <laughs> prosthetic head out of anybody I know. And that's what the shot was. It was her head looking very normal and <laughs> his head being, like, fucking massive. It just took I, me down memory lane. I didn't know that. <laughs> that's really weird. He, he has one of the largest heads in Hollywood. Not ego, physically. His head is large. Yeah. yeah. I think they said he has to get, like, custom baseball hats and stuff if he has to wear a hat in the movie. He's, he's George Costanza's worst nightmare. How big Which was this Batman cowl? It had to be huge. That's why they made him so chunky. He, he yeah, does wear a ball cap used. in this when he's in the airport trying to be all, like, nonchalant. Mm. And uh, I'm trying to remember the actress, too. The one that basically is Nancy Grace is like a perfect Missy Pyle impersonation. Oh, she's excellent. 
Yeah. Her character. Her character. Helen Abbott. So, she's so good, and I love, I love that, that actress scene at the end when she comes back, and they're like, "You're accusing me of all this stuff." He's like, "Ice break." She's like, "Ice breaker." <laughs> she just has like wine or something like that. No, she has the she has the robot cat to go along with the oh, robot yeah, yeah. dog. Because that's like one of those great. That's uh, yeah, I, I do love when they're they're going over all wow these golf clubs, and he's like, "I don't even play golf." And she's like, "I do. These are real good, man." You can play a real good game with these. And then when they find all that stuff in the woodshed, then, yeah, Patrick Fugit's like, I do like the dog. And he's like playing, playing with it with the controller. Like, oh, would this, would this be all the things you, uh, you, you supposedly don't use? Would you say that TV's 65 inches? No. No, no, no not way. Really. <laughs> yeah, Which when she gives him the robot the famous Zodiac dog, yeah. character. Zodiac slash, wasn't he in Boyd's World? Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris was excellent in this too. You're so used to like seeing him do the comedic stuff that you forget about his dramatic work. It's like he actually started out in dramatic work. He didn't start out in Doogie you know, Howser. He moved into comedy later, and now he does comedy mostly. And yeah, but he's a really good dramatic actor. Oh man, don't you feel bad for him? <laughs> he's he's <laughs> the real victim here. I think he, I think he might be the only one that's like truly a victim. I don't know. Yeah, but it's like he gets you so he... hard and murdered for. What did he do to her? He didn't do anything. I don't think to anything. Her. She nothing. did it to him. That's when you have Scott McNeary coming out, being like, "Oh, I'm a registered sex offender now." She was trying to say that I raped her, but it didn't happen. You find out that these ex-boyfriends were like not doing anything to her; that she was literally nuts. So Neil Patrick Harris was probably just creepy at best. Yeah. I like how they talk about when Ben Affleck is first introduced to uh, Amy, and they're talking about like the guys in the room. They're trying to be psycho intellectuals with their proust. She brings that up to him in a degrading way, but he thinks it's a positive when they're eating breakfast. He's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love him. <laughs> You're not a slob like like Nick was. I love how, like, Ben Affleck's just confused by everything and everybody's mad at him for not being sad. You know, and then he, like, smiles and he's like, wait, no, I'm not supposed to do that. And it's like... But he's just genuinely, like, perplexed and confused by everything that's going on. He just, like, everybody has a different trauma response. So it's like when people are mad that people have, like, the wrong trauma response, they get mad. Like, I respond to trauma with laughing, so it's not good. Somebody, like, literally yells, smile, and he smiles, and then they get that picture. Yeah. So I just think it's his natural response to be, like... Right, like... To seem nice on a photo or something, so he's not thinking. There's that part when the parents approach him, and he goes, he goes, of course I'm fucking upset. He's like, I'm being polite. He's like, that's what you do. He's like, I'm just doing exactly what, like, he's like, I'm just being nice to these people. They came here to help. He's like, I'm just being polite to them. He's like, that's exactly what you fucking do. He's like, all I'm doing is, like, showing manners and shit. He's like, that's what I was taught. He's like, I'm going through the motions. He's like, of course I'm fucking upset. Like, Everything he does in the public's eye is wrong. Like, everything. He can't do a single thing right. (laughs) He talks about her. He's like, please help me find my wife. And then the in-laws get up, and they just have, like, they're just going through everything that's amazing about Amazing Amy. He's just like, fuck, I didn't say shit. I didn't say nice (laughs) shit like that about her. (laughs) Yeah, the neighbor is great. And I I like the reveal when he's, like, when uh, Amy's like, you got to find a stupid-ass person to drink. Yeah, you got to find a real idiot. I like when uh, she does the reveal that she staged her kidnapping, possibly slash murder, and it goes into, like, how she staged the scene to be weird, clean up the (laughs) blood poorly, just like Nick would. And uh, 
when she goes on the run, she starts to like try to fatten herself up with all her junk foods. <laughs> She's like constantly like chugging soda and like eating garbage. And then she gets fucked over. I don't know why. She should have just stayed inside. Shouldn't have dealt with those people. Right. Yeah, but she's she, nuts. She hits herself in the head with a hammer. She covers herself in some guy's blood, which is the moment that is, like, maybe the most erotic and the most... The score is probably the best at the moment, too. <laughs> Poor Neil Patrick Harris is just gets dying. super erotic i will say in comparison i didn't i guess i didn't find mine super erotic either i guess like when i think of the word erotic thriller i think of stuff like that shit like silk stockings you know what i mean like that again i think this movie counts it wouldn't be at the top of my list for something i'd consider like erotic thriller the scenes that happen where they're doing their treasure hunt stuff they have sex in the library or whatever like that's kind of as risque as it really gets until you get to the neil patrick harris scene i guess <laughs> like that's like and at that point you know she's totally psycho so it's weird because most of the time in these thrillers it starts out with him them seeming normal and then going fucking insane or being crazy one of them right I, i'm not mad at it i really really like this movie so i'm not i'm not complaining but i'm, I'm going back to the question of is it erotic thriller i'd say so okay at least to a degree and i think that that is fine like honestly if i picked a subject and i said oh you know what our theme is dogs and you wanted to pick a theme that or you wanted to pick a movie that had a dog that wasn't based around the dog i'd be like there was a dog in it well you better not pick that theme i already know what movie i'm picking for <laughs> homeward bound oh no <laughs> what would you pick the plague dogs plague of dogs yeah okay i don't know what that is I'd do White Dog since uh, Chuck brought up the Nazis earlier. <laughs> now you're thinking about that. The racist the dog. <laughs> it is a racist dog. That sounds awesome. What is that? I never heard of that. It's a Sam Fuller movie about this woman that's trying to rehabilitate a pure white German Shepherd. It looks like James's dog that he had. And uh, it's super aggressive towards black people because it was trained to like by like some racist to attack black people or something like that. So the whole movie is the rehabilitation of this dog, of this woman trying to like get this dog to be okay around anybody in society. Oh my god, that sounds so weird. I would totally watch that. It's a good movie. What year? 80s, like 82 oh, okay. maybe or something. That sounds like, I was gonna say that sounds like something from that like time period around there. My movie's animated. It's done by the same person who did uh, Watership Down. Hmm. Super depressing. It's about research animals. I don't know what other movies they made, but it's depressing seems to be something that they're totally interested in. 
I've been wanting to talk about this movie for a while. I love this movie. I think that it is so good. I think the best part about it is usually when you have a movie that's two people facing off against one another, one of them wins. So one of them kind of gets away with the consequences of everything bad that they've done. And I think when you get to the end of Gone Girl, it works so well because the perfect living hell that these people have set up for themselves and have to live with for, we presume, the rest of their lives. Unless they do Gone Girl 2, but I don't see how Gone Girl 2 would work out too well. <laughs> Goner girl. Gone harder. I don't think she really sees it as a living hell, though, because I think that to some degree she enjoys being able to torture him and keep him. But she wants to be loved, and she's not. So he's going to continue to go down that path of like, I'm just using you, which is what got under her skin and, and made her want to frame him for murder to begin with. I guess that's fair. You think it the whole time, like she's going to get hers or ultimately he's going to pay the price for this. I mean, I guess he does. They both do, but they do it in a way that's not death or jail. And that goes a long way for me. Murder, death, and jail are like the ultimate outcomes of everything. <laughs> so to somehow avoid that, it's wonderful. Do you think she really was pregnant? I think she's pregnant. At the end? like Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's Neil Patrick Harris's kid or something. But uh, That's what I was going to say. Do you even think it's his kid? Like, it's probably not even his kid. Well, he says he's like, I know it's not my kid because I, I haven't touched you. He's been sleeping in another bedroom and locking the door and kind of afraid that he's going to get killed in the middle of the night. So it's definitely not his child. I guess that's maybe that's the sequel because you, you'd think she has to be smarter than that because he says, like, I'll get a DNA test and she's like, she's pretty sure that does it'll come back for his. What do you think she did then? Do you think that she, like, somehow impregnated herself with him? She got the turkey baster. We've talked about uh, Don't Breathe. We've seen that movie. That's how it works. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She did the Don't Breathe. The turkey baster is a flawless plot. Yeah, you're it right. Is. You can't beat it. <laughs> and that's what he was talking to his sister about. He's like, she pulled off the turkey baster plot, and it's it's unbeatable. It's unbeatable. She did, I I didn't she did it. it. Don't breathe on me. I can't. She did the one thing I didn't think would ever happen. I really do enjoy the detective Kim Dickens. Like, in this, she goes from not thinking everything seems a little too strange to then is like, well, I don't know, all the evidence seems to be pointing at him. Which I, I do love reading all, like, the diary entries, and then it gets the, the very final entry that I'm pretty sure he's going to kill me. And he's like, and he just goes, that seems like a pretty convenient end to the book. <laughs> Right, that's a very convenient yeah, place that's to a, stop. That's a convenient place to stop. Like They kind of like skip over that, but then uh, when it gets to the end and she also very clearly doesn't believe any of her story at all and is like the only person in the room that's trying to like poke holes in the whole thing that's like yeah but wait a second mm -hmm. like i thought you said your husband's like really abusive and like hurt you and she's like oh i, I don't know I, maybe i was confused or something like that like it's like okay also how'd you get that box cutter to kill neil patrick harris i thought he tied you to the bed the entire time you were there and it's like uh oh, this is all such a blur and like the other, the other guy in the room that's getting like really uncomfortable is like i think we should stop talking about this right now uh this woman's very traumatized she needs to be released now. Yeah, I like when she's talking to Ben Affleck again. I thought you were against me. She's like, well, being that she's not dead anymore, you're in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost everything about it. It's just so fucking stupid. Where'd you go? Oh, she told me to go off and think, and she knew I was, I was going to go to my spot where no one's going to be, so I had no alibi. Yeah, because that's, that's what he is. He's just the most predictable, like, dumb guy. It's like, she knew I was just going to go sit in my car at the beach and, like, not do anything. <laughs> Caught him every which way. Yeah. 
I can't figure out if this movie hates men or hates women. Neither. It hates everybody. <laughs> Equally, yeah. Have you watched, or I'm going to read anything else? I assume you would have watched, maybe. Dark Places with Charlize Theron. The movie is not that good. The book is good. And then Sharp Objects, which is like an eight-episode TV show. I think you'd fucking love it. Me? Mm-hmm. Nah, I don't know that one. I'll watch I, it. I didn't think that you watched it. I'm just saying I think you would love it. I think it's better than okay. the book. Because when I read the book, I was just like, eh. And then everything pretty much happens the same way it does in the book. But I don't know. Visualizing it, it just kind of worked out way better. I want Fincher to make Choke. Choke's already been made. Did it? Yeah. Who made it? Greg Clark made it. Oh. That's why I don't know anything about it. It's got Sam Rockwell. Yeah. It's like his best book in an okay movie. That's kind of exactly what happened with Dark Places, I think. It's like, oh, this book's great. And then the movie's just like, all right. That's disappointing. I also thought that'd be a really good movie. It's a good book. For some reason, Chuck Palahniuk uh, never works out, I guess. His books are yeah, great. Yeah, Fight Club. That was... He peaked at Fight Club. <laughs> That's because Fincher did it. Yeah, but he's had a hard time getting anything else done. Like, I was about think, to say, like, what, are, what's, what are the other ones that they've even adapted at this point? I know Fight Club and nothing. Choke. I didn't think they had done anything else. I've heard about them working on a lullaby. I've heard them working on Invisible Monsters. And by working on, I think somebody bought the rights to adapt it and, and never That seems never to be the way. And they don't even seem like they'd be remotely difficult movies to make. So I, I don't understand no. why. His shit is so grounded in reality. He doesn't make anything fantastical. So it's he like, does. There's the one where they go to hell, and there's like a cum river. They have to watch Breakfast Club <laughs> every day. <laughs> I want that. I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of weird ones. I need, to, I need to read that one. Pygmy is a weird one, too. It's all written in broken English. First, it's like off-putting, but then you start reading it. It like clicks in your brain. It's such a weird thing. So you get on like chapter four and you're like, I'm reading broken English. Like it's a language I totally understand. <laughs> That's great. Gillian Flynn's the perfect example of this movie did so well that they like instantaneously adapted like all her other shit. She writes the short story. This movie did so well they like uh, you started having like the whole genre of like I don't know it felt like felt like everything came up. You had the what Girl on the Train was one that felt like it was related to these. They made that parody on Netflix. It's like the the girl on the train that's in the apartment across the way or something like that like it was a whole parody of those type of things well and then that was making fun of like the other netflix movie i thought with what was the amy adams one that it was it was like that it's like a rear serious. window it's like a rear window copy or something like that yeah but it was like the girl across the house like it, 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 it was like the girl across title. the way or something like that yeah they had like a really bad uh bad title amy adams is the one that's in uh sharp objects the protagonist she's great I like Amy Adams. I think she's one of the few actresses that kind of like adapts well into any role that she has. I don't know if Affleck's got those chops. I watched Gone Girl and then it was the 30th anniversary of Days and Confused. So I was like, I put on Days and Confused and it was like Affleck's first role. So it was weird kind of seeing the similarities <laughs> between the two of like how far he's come. Who is he in that movie? I don't remember. Is his name O'Brien? Yeah, I think so. He's the guy with the paddle. He's, like, obsessed with paddling yeah. Mitch. Oh, okay, okay. I got you. They pour the crap on him from the building. It's been a minute since I watched that movie. That's a really good movie. The mom pulls the shotgun on him. Yeah, that's where he started. The thing I remember him in the most was probably Mallrats. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then his big breakout was probably Goodwill Hunting or something, I guess. See, I always think of Chasing Amy. That's what I always think of. That's the first time I really remember him. I don't know how to explain it. I don't want to take anything away from Kevin Smith, but he didn't hit the big times till he, like, escaped the Kevin Smith of USU universe or whatever. Right. I agree with you. Because even, like, when you get to Dogma, Dogma's a little bit different, where now Kevin Smith has all these celebrities and Ben Affleck, who he, he's been with pretty much since the beginning. I can't remember. I don't think he's in Clerks. Yeah, he's, he's not in Clerks. Clerks, is he? He's in Clerks, too. Yeah. Dogma's a great movie. But Ben Affleck, he does end up popping up in a lot of that stuff, because he was in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And yeah, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Was he in Clerks 3? I don't remember. I haven't seen that yet. I feel like he's somewhere in there. I feel like two had the most cameos of all time. That literally it was just people showing up and eating uh, movies. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be disappointed in Clerks 3. Clerks 3 was surprisingly kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> that Jay and Silent Bob reboot was quite possibly one of the worst films I've ever seen. It is deplorable. I liked it. The only one of his I didn't like was Yoga Hosers, which you'd be surprised. Yoga Hosers was fucking... <laughs> garbage but i did like Holy tusk a lot shit, i thought tusk was, was pretty good oh my god tusk is fucking garbage but yeah then fincher's kind of went off for a little bit he's done this mind hunter with netflix and did house of mank. cards mank was good but mank was also like i had to watch it again his least interesting movie there were some good moments in there but for overall it was shot well acted well but just somehow it just wasn't the most compelling yeah. thing to watch like it has his I don't know his style but it was such a it just wasn't like anything that he's done before and it just felt like it was more of a I know he was just doing it because it was his dad's like favorite thing and it, <laughs> he had the screenplay from his dad so it almost it, the movie just didn't feel like he really specifically cared about it it was it just felt like more like uh, I gotta do it because my dad that's why I'm excited about the killer because the killer sounds like everything that he's good like at. His more of his Seven type of style. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. That was like there. Everything in the mank was just like it felt like it really could have been directed by anybody else, and it probably would have been just as okay. Like I don't think it was something that he needed to, but I that, that it's more of a that was more of like just a random thing that was more like personal to him i guess it seems like would you have that as like his lowest rating rated film for you yeah like i said it's not even that it's bad it's just i don't know yeah i, I just i can't get interested in it yeah i don't know if he's necessarily had a bad film i i don't think i think mink might be the worst just because it's the least interesting like we said like we talked about before alien 3 gets a lot of flack panic room gets a lot of flack i'd say oh, i love panic room yeah that's a great movie. I mean, it's the only thing I can... I'm not bitching Jared about Jared Leto's great in that movie, too. You love Jared Leto. I do love Jared Leto. He can't do any wrong. That is absolutely incorrect. He can do all kinds of wrong. I actually think he sucked in Dallas Buyers Club. You would. Every time we bring him up, I'm like, oh, shit, I still haven't seen Morbius, which I don't care about, but maybe I'll watch Morbius Yeah, tonight. what do you know about it? You, you haven't even morbed out yet. I haven't morbed out. I need to watch that. I also need to watch that. Just because... I actually, I like the comic. I love the character, but I was sick of watching that stupid trailer. And I'm really yeah. kind of disappointed with Sony's villain Spider-Man universe because it just seems lazy. Like, it seems <laughs> it like is. the laziest movies. Did you see the trailer for Craven the Hunter? It's so stupid. I'm like, just have him as a villain in a Spider-Man movie and he'd be a great villain. I don't know about trying to make him sympathetic. Yeah, he, he protects the animals. Those Tom Hardy Venom movies are garbage. Like, absolute trash. I actually kind of like the first one. It reminded me you of... Would. 
it reminded me of the mask if it was like you have terrible taste why do you like everything i like gone girl <laughs> i don't like everything maybe i have the nolan approach you're thinking about the son of mask is that what's making you think of you into that one well no it oh, reminded God. me of the exact scene from the mask where the na- he's the annoying the neighbor mask. and the neighbor's like ipkiss he does he puts the mask on and goes psycho and like gets his revenge on his neighbor and you know everyone <laughs> the uh the auto mechanic and every single person. Son of Masks got that guy from Malibu's Most Wanted. Jamie Kennedy, it? don't I've never seen Jamie Sc- I've guy never from seen Malibu's Most Wanted. Jeez, how, put some how respect on Jamie Kennedy's name. I know he had a show called The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Then you should know his fucking name. You should be like that guy from The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. I like, never I watched it. Can't think of his name. Malibu's like Most Wanted, that like, cinematic masterpiece. You're like, what's the mouse in Stuart Little? What's his name? Did you see that? I did see Stuart Little because I'm a huge fan of the No, book. no, no, the tweet. It's There's famous deleted tweets or something in the one of them. <laughs> it's like, what's the name of the mouse and Stuart Little? And then they deleted it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never saw that. Uh, I don't think that we've discussed a lot of Fincher on our podcast, surprisingly. We never covered him as a director. We did Fight Club, and I think that's I was it. I was on that episode. Did we do the you game? Were. Did we ever do the game? I don't think we did. It feels like we did, but then at the same time, I'm just not 100% sure. <laughs> I love the game, too. I think the game's a great movie. Actually, I also like the game. I See, I think Fincher's one of those directors, though, that he's a perfectionist. He picks good projects. He moves kind of fast. I don't think he ever writes anything, so he moves from movie to movie to movie to movie. But even, like, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, I was like, I felt like it, this movie should be trash. I don't think it is. I think it's pretty good. Chuck, I was saying to Justin the other day, I was saying I've noticed that on this show, Fincher seems to be the only director that we all unanimously agree on. And I said, what about Charles Lofton? We all loved all of his work. <laughs> yeah. He made one movie, but I guess that's fair. But I was like, I, I feel like every time we talk about a Fincher, we all are like, yeah, that was an excellent movie. I like that movie. And like, nobody's ever like negative about Fincher. <laughs> I think we could be negative about Fincher. That was, we're saving that for our Mank episode. Yeah, that's we'll the do one Mank. where we're just like, we're just like, hate that. Guy. I haven't seen that movie, so I have not. I can't. I can't be negative yet. So this segment should be favorite director, worst movie, yeah. like the worst movie of their career. That would be a really interesting like thing to do. I think almost every director I can think of, there's at least one movie Has that I'm like, at that's least a one really terrible bad movie film. in there. Everyone. I think the one that's like the most consistent at being like 50 50 is probably like Robert Rodriguez. He's like, I, I don't care. I'll make garbage and the fun movie. Like, he didn't, I still never watched all his Spy Kids movies. And I think he's made like four of them now. Yeah. Three? Three. No, there's four. No, four. You're right. Four. Oh, you You're made right, that Lava yeah. lava Girl Shark Boy thing. I never saw shark that. Shark Boy and Lava. He made two of those. <laughs> there's two of them. There's two. Of I those. remember when um, Ant Man three was coming out, and they were showing the images of all the ant people, and they kept like referring it back to the Shark Boy and Lava. I think it was. Yeah. Or, or Spy Kids. I don't know. One of those two things. Where they're like they're definitely wearing the same exact costumes <laughs> that Ant Man's wearing. If you haven't seen Gone Girl, it's great. I think you said it was on HBO Max. AKA Max. It was on HBO Max. That's where I watched they, it. They uh, Justin Timberlake and dropped the not the 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 but the HBO. No, it's just Max. 
but uh, yeah, I'm in a little bit of a Fincher rewatch. What do you think I should do next? I did Zodiac recently for Fourth of July. Fight Club. I haven't watched Fight Club since last year, I think, or the year before, whenever we talked about it. You should always do Fight Club. I redid Social Network, which I think is some of the best music by Reznor, and he hasn't mastered it until Pixar Soul. Fight Club's soundtrack was done by the Chemical Brothers. Yep. But they call themselves the Dust Brothers. I remember. (laughs) That was a fun fact you brought up on the episode. It was. And their first album is called Exit Planet Dust. You probably said that too, but I forgot it. <laughs> but yeah, I and then I also recommend reading the book. I don't know what you should do first, though. Because I definitely think when Lexi said, oh, I haven't seen Gone Girl, me and Chuck were like, don't read up on anything about it. Because we wanted you to be surprised. And I think that that twist in the middle was like one of the best ones. Go oh, yeah, don't. Mind. Don't well. I guess if you already listened to our episode, you've already ruined it for yourself. <laughs> They're well aware that they ruined it for themselves. If they're listening. <laughs> like, yes, you've already ruined this movie for yourself if you listened to our episode. But go watch it if you haven't. Am I wrong, Chuck? With like, I have to look up his credits. But I think this is like when Fincher like he didn't make anything for a while after this. That's when he started getting into like his TV yeah, shows and that's stuff. Yeah, he's doing more TV. Because I think when he did Mank, they were like, he hasn't actually done an actual feature film since, like, Gone Girl, I think. Yeah, I'm Let's, pretty sure that's... missing something. Nah, I don't think so. I think that was... I think that's where he was at. Yeah, Gone Girl, then the Mank. And I keep forgetting that Zodiac was before all of this. Things felt like they built up into Zodiac, and I'm like, Zodiac was 2007 or something, so... Yep. What's it like to be such a competent director? And he's kind of an asshole, I guess. I go into his movies, sometimes I don't even know it's him. And every time I go into one of his movies, I walk out of it and I'm like, wow, what a great movie. That was so well done. The cinematography and that was excellent. This was excellent. That was excellent. Like all these like aspects are just like so good. Everything was so well done. Everything was so well executed. The timing was good. The pacing was good. When you're talking about just the mechanics of filmmaking, like his movies are top tier when it comes to filmmaking like when you're talking about wanting to study film you should study fincher's films fincher's definitely like a filmmaker that you should study if you're going to study film though you should also to interject slightly watch bad movies you should be able to watch a movie and be like so when we discuss mank because i can see it i can see it in chuck's face it's just (laughs) his face screams i need to speak about mank so bad i need to subject myself to watching mank again i'm gonna i'm gonna not watch it and save it for a day when you guys make me watch it on here so we can have a discussion about it i'm gonna hold off it might be a while because every time i'm like chuck's gonna pick this chuck doesn't he's such a wild card he'll be like i've been wanting to talk about this movie for 20 years and he'll never do it (laughs) maybe i'll pick it just to force the conversation okay that sounds good yeah you're free you're free for all you're like i'm just gonna go with me so we can get, get this out of there for yeah. chuck yeah get it off chuck let's chest. have this conversation let's let's do this i made you talk about youtube let's talk about me. Chuck, but the difference is chuck doesn't want to talk about me probably uh, that i'll further punish you <laughs> well thanks everybody for listening we'll be back next week with the handmaiden the last 
pick, and I hope everybody enjoys it. I don't. I do have to ask you yeah. real quick with your pick. Yes. Does this one have more sex? Yes. I don't hate any of our movies, but it's been less erotic and more thriller. I'm just kind of hoping Yaris has more erotic <laughs> this time. And Chuck, have you watched The Handmaid yet? Okay. I think you'll like it. And then beyond that, at some point, we'll be on our buddy Jacob's IPA sessions. Whenever that episode comes out. Yay. Bye. Bye, all. All right. That was our episode. Thanks for listening.